Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is Zach. Zach, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Good to be here. Can you uh, tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? You bet. Um, I grew up in small town Nebraska. Went to the University of Nebraska for for college. Uh, That's where I met my wife of 13 years. Her name is Katie, and we uh, really got married in Chicago. I went to seminary at Moody Theological Seminary there, and we spent seven years in Chicago. I was a pastor for four of those years there in downtown Chicago, and uh, currently we have two boys who are very rambunctious. One is nine years old in third grade, and one is seven years old in first grade. We spent, after Chicago, we spent about six years in Washington, D.C., where I was assistant pastor there. And then the last three years have been in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which is a town about 35 minutes southeast of D.C. And currently, I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Upper Marlboro. And that's where we're at right now. Awesome. Wonderful. All right. What are you working on ministry uh, project-wise? Right now, uh, I am working through, we just finished uh, First and Second Samuel, so after 55 uh, sermons through First and Second Samuel. I'm, we're ready for the New Testament, so uh, working on that, and just finished the book uh, with PNR Publishing uh, called "Fearing Others: uh, Putting God First. So glad to have that done, and looking forward to what's next. It isn't. I'm studying First Samuel right now, and isn't that just such an amazing book? Um, it's so. I mean, all of God's word is relevant, but it really helps us to have a high view of God, and I think, and it's just been uh, in studying it, it's just been really refreshing, and there's. So much there that you you miss if you're not really digging in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just seeing, yeah. I think one of the things that just struck me was all the sin and failure of imperfect people will not derail the good plans of the sovereign God. Just seeing that over and over, and His being faithful, faithful to His promises all throughout the book was really encouraging to us. So thankful for the book too. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, can you uh, please tell us about uh, your book in the 31 Day Devotional Series, "Fearing Others, Putting God First"? Why you wrote it and how it's being received? Yeah, so it, it just came out uh, about a month ago with uh, PNR, and it's uh, like you said, it's a 31 day devotional. So the design is kind of meant to give uh, bite sized reflections over a longer period of time, which I've really enjoyed that format um, and appreciate the books that the books that they're putting out in this series. Um, pastorally, I find it helpful just because it, you can hand that book to someone, go through it with them, you read it yourself, and have like a prolonged meditation on a biblical idea. So when, when you're reading through a book, sometimes you kind of uh, skip through the topic and, and don't have the chance to slow down, or maybe the discipline to slow down like you, you should or you want to. Hmm. But this kind of forces you to slow down, have that time of reflection and prayer, maybe a conversation with somebody you're reading the book with. So the, the, the theme was first introduced to me by Ed Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. When People Are, when people are Big and God is Small. And I uh, read that several years ago, hugely helpful, helpful about that book. Um, don't, don't think I really recognized the theme as much as it really is in Scripture until I was helped by his book. And then once the light kind of came on to see that theme running throughout Old and New Testament and the multiple forms of that, fear, whether it's fear of failure, fear of being disliked or hurt or exposed or rejected, then I just think um, I just begin to see it more and more in my own life or in other people's lives that I'm working with and wanted to change myself, wanted to grow in that, wanted to be able to help others as well. So thankful for the opportunity to write the book. 
Do you want to share a little bit about, you know, uh, about about what you were just talking about, about how you were helped in, in, in working through this topic yourself? Personally or in writing the book? Well, either one. Yeah, I think um, yeah, the crux of it, I think, and what and what Ed Welch does a really good job of, of highlighting is at the heart of the issue is either people will be big and controlling the decisions that you make because you've given them that position in your heart, or God will be big because you're seeing him as he really is, and he's holding the position in your life that he should have. So when you begin to see it that way, I just think it, it envelops a lot of life. It's not just this nuanced thing that kind of shows up once in a while. Um, and so just that desire to want to have a bigger vision of who God is, a more biblical vision of who he is, wanting to change him in the, I think when you see the the implications of a small view of God, it's just, it makes life miserable. And, and uh, we're, we weren't meant to live that way. And so um, when you begin to taste uh, the fruits of seeing God as he has revealed himself, I just, I see how far I have to go, but I also want so much more of that in my own life and in the lives of those that I'm caring for. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, what is the origin of the fear of man? Well, as I understand it, I think um, it really comes back to the decision our first parents made, Adam and Eve, and their decision to sin. So if, if God has made us in his image and our the place where we find our fundamental value or dignity is, is rooted there, that God has made us to reflect in some capacity his character, what he's like, that our calling is to spread the blessings of his rule over this world in our service to him and service to others, then their decision to rebel against him in Genesis 3, uh, to call the shots, to be in charge, to find their value apart from God changed everything. Because I think before sin into the picture, they, they were confident of God's love. Their identity was God loves me, I am. My value is in Him and my relationship to Him, uh, and in His grace. So I don't need to look anywhere else. Uh, but when when they shifted from that into finding their own value identity in themselves, then value became something that we find based on performance, no longer on grace. So it's like in any sporting event you watch. So if you're watching the the Golden State Warriors tomorrow play the Toronto Raptors, you know its team is better, more valuable in a sense by who has the better score at the end of the game, who has the higher score. So it's it's kind of a kind of a cutthroat uh, approach to to value. So apart from God's grace, we all kind of find our value based on how we perform, which means I have to measure myself compared to you and what others think of me. And I think Adam and Eve shifted the human race. Adam shifted the human race into that when he when he sinned. So now apart from God, we're desperate to validate our identity, our value, our significance, uh, whether at work or home or school or church, uh, by looking to what other people think of me or what they what they say of me, whether they approve of me. I'm not believing what God says about me and his love and his grace. Yeah, that's that's really, uh, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> really well said. How do we, how do we begin to um, identify the fear of man in our own lives? Yeah, um, well, there's lots of ways that God could do that. It could be through a close relationship. I know being married has kind of put, put the spotlight on, on that in my life in many ways. I think having kids, uh, I think being a member of a church where as a member of a church, I have people that know me well and I know them uh, anytime you have a close relationship and you're kind of you know the idea that Proverbs where it says as iron sharpens iron once a woman sharpens another that sparks flying there's there's going to be things that are being exposed and confronted and that's helpful so I think close relationships fundamentally I think it's, it's got to be the word of God I think God by his spirit using his word to reveal those things I think I like I like how John Calvin in his institutes talks about how the knowledge of ourselves and the knowledge of God are mutually 
mutually connected. So we can't, he argues in that chapter, we can't know ourselves rightly without a knowledge of God, nor can we rightly know God without knowing something about ourselves and our place in his creation. So um, I think identifying the fear of man takes somewhat of a similar path where we grow in our knowledge of God and the fear of God. The more we're able to identify and combat, you know, the more we know that, the more we're able to combat and identify the fear of man in our own lives as well. So it's intricately connected with this idea of knowing who God is. Yeah, I, I like how you're talking already about, you know, knowing the 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 doctrine of God, just just understanding who God is. I mean that that uh, we know that the Bible starts there, and and Calvin began there with his his institutes. And I just really appreciate that because you know we we're living in a day when there's such a shallow view of God, and people say, well, I I believe in God. Well, what what God are you talking about? Are you talking about the Mormon God, the Muslim God? Are you talking about the God of scientism? Are you talking about the God of culture? I I, I don't know what God you're talking about. Um, yeah. And and so I I really appreciate the fact that you're you're being clear. This is the, this is we have to get back to understanding God Himself, and I think that that is so so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. How does relying more on the Lord help free us to work hard, do our best, and trust God with the results? I think I'm. <laughs> I'm desperate to control things in my life. Uh, when I'm desperate to control things, I'm likely wanting that so I don't have to trust someone else, so I don't have to trust God or other people around me. But I don't think I don't think that trusting God means an absence of hard work. I think I think even in the New Testament you see lots of commands for hard work, striving for holiness. We're called to strive for holiness. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I don't think that trusting God and resting in means the absence of work. I just think it means when we are trusting God, uh, it means that we work hard in a restful way. So um, if I'm if I'm trusting the Lord in my work fearing him, I'm able to do my best and relieve the results to him. I'm not plagued by how is the results of this going to be seen in the eyes of others because my my main goal is to please the Lord. And there's something very freeing about that. That's where the rest comes in, I think. And the other side of the coin is I think there's there's so there's so much in life that I we, we just don't know what tomorrow holds. And I think worry is rooted in some senses to to that, not not knowing what's gonna happen tomorrow and then the what ifs of life begin to, to pop in and it seems to me that the answer in scripture is not to remove the what ifs of life but to see that even in the unknown of tomorrow God is there and he's gonna be my shepherd to walk me through those things that I can't predict that I can't control and there's a lot of freedom that comes from that so that it's coupled with the idea of work hard to the glory of God but I'm gonna leave the results to the Lord in that that's really freeing in that sense yeah one thing that's been helpful to me is is 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. you know after giving that, that glorious statement about the gospel uh, he yeah. says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I mean, yeah. here we have the Apostle Paul, you know, who, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm just struck, you know, it's it's not about, you know, my work or anything. Although it's important to work hard. I'm not saying that. But it's hard to, I think, what he's saying there is it's important to work from our identity in Christ. Yeah. And when we do, well, and right before he says what you quoted, he says, I've worked harder than all of them, but not I, but the grace of God, I am what I am. So there's that, he's coupling that work with that grace. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. How do you define the fear of God? I, I think of Proverbs 1, 7, it's pretty straightforward there. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there's lots of places that we can look in scripture. That, that seems like a helpful place to start though, in the sense that um, the writer of Proverbs at least says the fear of God involves knowing God, seeing him rightly. That's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is, is seeing God, knowing him, being in a relationship with him. It's not this knowing the facts, but it's, it's having that relationship with him. So the fear of God isn't a, a dread, like the fear of, you know, you imagine somebody living in a horror movie. It's not, it's not the fear of some 
a, a right view of God that leads to leads to a reverence, and then uh, a, a life that lives makes decisions based on that truth. So a while back we were we had a, a fire pit in the backyard with the kids, and we were we were all huddled around the fire, we're enjoying the warmth, enjoying the beauty, the the glow, the light. We were roasting marshmallows on it, and you, know, you can say, "I love the fire. It's beautiful. It's warm. It's 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 nice." Um, but if you don't respect that, if you don't relate your if you don't relate properly to that fire and respect it, um, if you think you can just grab a hold of the fire like a cute little puppy, you're going to regret it. So um, I think you can you can appreciate something, love it, but you have to relate rightly to it. I think that's true of God as well. Like we need to know who He is, which leads to a reverence, and then that reverence leads to a based on the truth of God leads to right living based on that knowledge of God. So I think Proverbs one seven is a good place to start at least to look at what what the scriptures mean by the. Yeah, that's that's really well said. Well, I threw this next question in here just just so that we could have a little bit of fun uh, talking about it. How do how do Christians fear God and fight against the fear of man while using social media? <laughs> um, you know the small questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, it, to me, it's it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't think that I think that social social media is is morally neutral. I mean, it can be used for really good things. Uh, it can also be used for really bad things. So it's not it's not the the tool itself, but more the user where the problems come into play. But even the way that social media is set up, where uh, when you post something, it's like it's like putting bait into the water, like a fisherman. I mean, you're you're trying to garner likes or reposts as if that's the currency of uh, in the internet. So um, and I, I I see that in my own heart at times, we know. And so um, I think it's a good question for us to ask when we're using social media. You know, why am I using this? You know. Um, I'm being overly distracted by it such that social media is affecting my time with the Lord, my time with my family, my time with people face-to-face in church. Uh, if social media and being desperate to be seen positively in on the Internet is is becoming an idol that I'm bowing down to, um, I think one of the things I see pastorally is if you're getting riled up by the quarrels on social media in the comments section or the posts that are on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever platform you're using, um, it might be good for you just to get off of social media. <laughs> you know, it's, people have survived for many years without social media and, and it might be spiritually beneficial for many people to just not be on it and, and you'll be fine. I think if you are on it, again, you want to ask that question, why do I want to use it? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, including how you use social media. So to me, I, I have a pretty limited use of my uh, use of social media. I try to use it positively to just encourage others and to love those around, to build people up. Um, so I think if somebody's going to use it in a way that makes a name for themselves, if I'm tempted to use it in a way to build a name for myself or at the expense of others or dishonoring God, I just I want to limit that or not use it. But uh, either way it's set up is kind of feeding that that idea of the fear of man and what, it's, what we're looking for in it. Yeah, I really like what you just said. It it gets to the to the heart of the issue, and um, you know we should use social media to to share truth and encourage other people. Um, you know, pray for one another. I mean, I think of social media in a lot of ways. Like I know that I'm not equating the one with the other either. Just to be clear, when I'm about to say this, but what, kind of like how would you treat somebody in the local church? You yeah. Know? Uh, how would would you say the things that you're going to say on social media to somebody face to face? And if not, then you probably shouldn't say it at all. Um, yeah. You definitely shouldn't say it at all. Let's say it stronger yeah. than that. And you know, we're to encourage one another. You know, that's not an option. That's a command. And. Yeah. 
to do one another's. And those one another's apply just as much in the local church as it does uh, whether you're on social media at work or, or wherever you are. Um, those are the expectations of what a Christ, Christian is, is supposed to, to do and to be. And so, you know, yeah. I, I think that uh, you're you're exactly right. I know for me, I, I just, <laughs> I have to sometimes just put away the phone. I'm just like, you know, that that is so discouraging. And I'm just like, I'm not even going to name what I'm thinking of right now. But, you know, it's just so discouraging. It's, you know, we're, we're fighting with each other. We're bickering with each other and you know we're there and there's nothing wrong with you know engaging with one another and having a conversation i'm, I'm not saying that but I, I wish that more of that would happen privately and yeah. that we would be able to you know really understand where where each other are coming from and yeah. and and love and care for each other it doesn't feel yeah. very to me i'm just saying for me uh very loving and and like there's that real love and care and concern and, and those yeah. types of things just that's how it strikes me I, and i could be wrong yeah. of course so yeah like what is what is twitter you can have 280 i can't remember how many characters you can use now but like there, there's a certain there are certain venues certain conversations where the even the the limitations of the platform are just not best suited for that and so much of communication is not just what's emailed or written but even my verbal expression and i can't see you right now with the phone for all i know you're making a face at me but i you know we we communicate with our body language things like that and i just think some some conversations that are more sensitive face-to-face is the best is the best way to go but i also think we're talking a lot about the the dangers of it but there's also a lot of benefits to this too i mean even the resources that we we are we come in contact with that are helpful in the christian life in an encouraging word from scripture from somebody or a quote that i you know somebody posts there's there's a lot of good and encouraging ways that you can use that as well it's just a matter of how that is being used by the by the person on social media Absolutely. And I, I think uh, uh, one thing that I do for our writers is uh, just to kind of highlight this is uh, we, we have a large writing team and probably over 200 people that write for us. And uh, I'm always trying to pay attention and I don't I miss things, but I always am trying to I do this weekly post called Weekly Roundup of Links. And there I, I <coughs> highlight where our writing team writes because for exactly the thing that you're talking about, positive um, this is where our not just it's not just about our content it's about where did the team write and and that's kind of yeah. how i view that i've also done other things on social media where i've highlighted what i appreciate about so-and-so person and um just to because there's so much negative and i definitely don't want to only say the negative but I, i've done that for that reason to you know highlight hey i appreciate this about so-and-so and and um, you should follow them because of such and such reason and so yeah there's a lot that yeah. can be said about positive Positively engaging and you know absolutely um how does uh being both more sinful than we ever thought and yet fully loved and accepted by christ as christians help us to understand where our true approval originates from as as god's people yeah, yeah i um i think the first time i heard that quote was in keller's book on marriage so it's just it was just a good turn of phrase that helps um re- help me remember the one of the one of the central ideas in the gospel, you know, that I'm more sinful than I ever imagined, and yet I'm also more fully loved and accepted by Christ than I ever dreamed possible. And we tend to either fall into one ditch of those we forget one and we ignore and we remember the other, but we, both of those things are true for the Christian. So I think, yeah, I think I think it goes back to the origin of the fear of man. I mean, I think sometimes we try to prop ourselves up with the idea that we're not as bad as we might be, and we like to do that at times, whether we know it or not, because it makes us feel good. And, and in a way, it's a subtle way to justify ourselves. I mean, I, you think of the Pharisee in Luke 18, you know, where he comes into the temple and he thanks thanks God that I'm not like other men, <laughs> um, and he 
has done. Uh, the problem with that is, is the, the more the more I'm able to justify myself, or I think I can justify myself, the more I'm I am unlikely to go to the great physician. If I don't think I'm sick, I'm not I'm not going to the great physician. But when I realize I'm more sinful than I ever thought, uh, and then and then through Christ, more accepted than I ever dreamed possible, then God's love and mercy are on display in my life, and I'm really set free to to rest in His love, rest in His grace, uh, rather than trying to think I need the approval of others. And I think that's kind of the heart of fear, man, too, in the sense that it's not just that I want their approval, it's that I need their approval, because that time identifying myself. So that idea in the gospel is really helpful, kind of setting me free from that. Yeah, it's been helpful for me, too. I think in my, in my early 20s now, I'm going more towards... I am almost 40. Yikes. Um, enough said there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've really, I've grown in this area a lot. Just recognizing my identity is in Christ. It's not in, it's not in my podcast or any editing or writing that I'm doing. And, um, we can definitely seek validation in, in the things that we're, we're doing and instead of in, in, in our identity, our new identity in Christ. And, you know, we, we can be so performance driven and, and we're encouraged to do that in our culture to be it's all about my performance my i'm going to be graded about how i do at my job and you know people even you know like your stuff so i must be doing a good job and we can just get into that mindset and we can forget it like you talked about where our our true approval originates from and we can so easily slide into the to the fear of man how do we as christians grow in boldness and courage and speak up for matters without fear yeah, I think I think one one idea that keeps coming up in my mind about about this is that verse in Proverbs fourteen twenty six where he says, uh, "In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence." And I don't we don't naturally put fear in the same sentence as strong confidence, but that's exactly what the writer does. And so um, as I want, I don't want to I don't want to grow in arrogance. I don't want my kids to grow in arrogance. I want I want them I want to grow in courage and boldness. And so uh, a lot of this comes down to again this idea that if the, the bigger that God is, my, the bigger his view, my view of him is, the more biblical, I guess you could say, my view of God is, then people just become less intimidating. And uh, I think one of the fruits of that is I'm emboldened to speak without fear because uh, my fear is of God and it's not of these people that I'm, I'm speaking to. So I was even reading in my quiet time this morning in Second Timothy where Paul encourages him and he says, all right, you got to fan this into flame. Uh, you know, you, you have not been given a spirit of, of fear, uh, but of power and love and self-control. And a lot of what he's reminding Timothy of is not only the gift that God has given him, but um, who God is and getting his, getting him to look there, consider Jesus, remember who he is, remember what he's done for you. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to help this pastor in Ephesus who's struggling with timidity uh, to be more bold. So, yeah, keep looking at who God is. Yeah, that's that's so good. So good. Well said. Um, you write on page 55 that to respond well to embrace criticism, we need to embrace criticism not to be a punching bag, but to rightly see ourselves in light of the cross, to accept criticism and, and learn from that. Um, how have you done this in your own Christian life, and how would you counsel other Christians to do this well? Yeah, a lot of that comes from thinking through uh, Galatians 3, where he's you know, you're talking about the how, how do we justify ourselves before God? How are we justified? And it's not it's not through our works, it's through the work and the person of Christ. And so He's instructing us where to look, where to put our hope, where to put our faith. I don't think, I, and when we talk about the punching bag, I don't think that means I don't think that embracing an accusation means that we as a Christian should should consider every criticism as accurate. But I do think thinking of ourselves in light of the cross uh, helps us to be less defensive. Um, because 
a huge, significant leader in evangelicalism during the last 20th century. And I think this interview is close to before he had died. Uh, but Dr. Henry is also known to be a very humble man. And so as Dr. Carson was interviewing him, I remember reading him saying, you know, Dr. Henry, you have been at the center of attention in evangelicalism over the half or for over a half century. How have you stayed humble? And Dr. Henry's response was beautiful. He just said, you know, it's really hard to be proud when you're standing at the foot of the cross. And and it seems in that response that Dr. Henry had cultivated this, this practice of remembering the gospel, uh, seeing himself in the light of that gospel. Um, and he just, the idea of pride standing there just seems, seemed ridiculous to him. And it just, Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. And, and also just, I think that a lot of us struggle to, well, with, with receiving compliments and also uh, handling criticism. It's it's hard yeah. to hear, you know, some, for some people, it's hard to hear, hey, I, you did a good job with this. Uh, yeah. What do yeah. I say? <laughs> you yeah. know, and and uh, when somebody says, hey, I, I, I really didn't like your sermon or I didn't like your article. Um <laughs> Uh, awkward silence, you know, like, how do I, how do I deal with that? And, you know, I, I think it just goes back to what we're talking about. Do you have a, do you have a grateful heart before God for what he's done? Well, yeah. then when a compliment comes, you're going to probably respond with gratitude for, uh, the, the feedback that you got, you know, give thanks yeah. to God yeah. for, for that. Say, say thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you won't be devastated then, as you you said so well by the by the criticism, and and you'll. Uh, I, I know in my life, um, I, I've struggled with this a lot <laughs> with criticism, and um, it wasn't until a few years ago when one of my pastors said, "You need to see this person um, through the eyes of the chief shepherd, Jesus," and that just helped me slow down and realize this this is still a person. I still have to deal with them. I still they're they're face to face. They're not on social media at this point. They're they're not yeah. at all. I have to. I have to deal with this person because they're in my in my small group, and I'm the leader of the small group, and I'm, I'm yeah. supposed to be leading them and being an example to them. And yeah. and um, so I started praying for them, and God started changing my heart and the way that I was responding to them. And and it, what it made me realize um, is it wasn't that per that person had problems, of course, but I was the one that was the problem and first and foremost. And yeah. you know that was uh, that was really big for me. Yeah, there's an article. Uh, it's called the Cross and Criticism. It's written by Alfred Poirier. It's, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but P-O-I-R-I-E-R. -I -E um, and it is superb on this topic, just thinking through what goes on in my heart when I'm being criticized and what difference does the cross of Jesus Christ make and how I think about that criticism and how I respond. So the cross and criticism, wonderful article on kind of thinking that through in a biblical way. Usually helped by that too. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. How, could, how should Christians fight fear with prayer? Yeah, I think fear of man is another version of pride. It, it sounds counterintuitive at first because it almost feels opposite of it. But um, I think the fear of man is us trying to protect an image of ourselves that we want other people to see. So the reason I'm afraid is because I, I want you to see me this way or I'm trying to project an image of myself this way. And I'm afraid that you're not going to see it that way. And that's just pride. So fear and pride can be really close cousins in this category. So real simply, proud people don't pray and humble people do pray. It's the language of humility. So one of the practical ways to choke off pride is to discipline yourself uh, in humble reliance upon God through prayer. In, in more specifically, uh, one of the prayers I love that David models for us is in Psalm 86, where he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. There's a lot 
accurate of how I often feel and I think how many people feel because in a busy life with lots of distractions, our heart can feel divided. And, and what I want as a follower of Christ is my heart to be united in, in fearing him, loving him, revering him. And so that prayer, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name is just a wonderful uh, prayer to imitate and to offer up ourselves as David models for us. Well said. Why is it so essential uh, that Christians fight fear with thankfulness? Um, one of the, I think one of the schemes of Satan is to get us focused on all the bad things, all the wrong, all the things that are going wrong in our lives, and to actually miss the encouragement and the help that comes from seeing God's work in our lives that He has done, and that we can remember that and be thankful for it, and that He is doing currently. And um, if if I can, if, if if the enemy can get me to focus on all the bad things such that I don't have, you know, I have these blinders on that I'm, I'm blind to the good that God is doing, then I'm either going to fall into worry or fear, and I'm going to have a lack of gratitude. So I think that this call to um, remember and to express gratitude uh, to God for who he is and what he's done uh, forces me to slow down and to actually look up and to see the goodness of God and to see what he's doing and that he is the one who provides for all my needs. And the more I see that, his goodness and, and his being the provider, I think God just becomes bigger because, one, I'm, rec- I'm recognizing that I need and he provides, and I think God's glorified in that, but it also um, helps me and the people around me seem smaller in God to be the big God that he is. So thankfulness is a helpful antidote to that, I think. Amen. Well said, brother. How are you continuing to learn true contentment in Christ alone? Yeah, it's definitely something I'm learning. Um, me too. <laughs> uh, I, I love Paul's teaching in Philippians. Uh, Philippians 4 is where he talked a lot about contentment. So, when you know, that, that well-known verse where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's in the context of being able to go without or to have plenty, but being able to walk through life in a content in a, in, in a spirit of contentment. Um, but I, I think what's, what's also helpful is he is talking about contentment in chapter 4 after he's laid the groundwork for contentment in Philippians 3. Um, so Philippians 3, 9, where he, he, he says, you know, I, I count everything as rubbish uh, in comparison with the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I, I count all things as lost in order that I may gain Christ. So I always have that image of, you know, when I put the garbage out in the morning for the garbage man, I am not worried in the least about that that garbage being picked through or stolen by someone because it does not have the value in my heart that I'm worried about it. Um, and it's not to say that the, the other things in my life other than God have no value, but I think what Paul's saying is in comparison to Christ and knowing him, everything else in life is as rubbish. So the world can take it away. Circumstances can take, circumstances can take away those things that do have real value in my life, but I'm just not, it's not going to affect my joy, my contentment, because my joy and contentment is rooted in, in Christ. So when I think of it that way is beautiful. I long for that. I, I want to value Christ that way. Um, and by God's grace, I've tasted that. I've seen that. I just, I, I want so much more of that. I'm like, I'm, I, 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 when I hear David, you know, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. I, I want him that way because I, I know that to be true, but it's elusive to me sometimes. I don't think I, I live in that reality and I, I want that satisfaction that comes in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, well said. Really well said. What role does the local church have in helping Christians address their fear of man and to fear the Lord? Yeah, um, depending on how you see yourself involved in a church or what the role of a church is, that's going to vary from person to person. But I think I think the New Testament has this idea of a Christian being self-consciously committed to a group of believers. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where you 
have Lone Ranger Christianity. You know, I got my Bible and Jesus, and that's enough for me. I think there's always this. And my coffee. And my coffee, yeah. There's always a connection to a, a local body of believers um, um, where we are in that covenant relationship with each other. So if that's the case, where I'm going to go beyond just surface relationships, then again, the close relationships are hugely helpful because, um, for one, I'm, I'm just, I don't trust myself. I'm not the expert on myself. I understand that there are pockets of sin in my life that I'm probably completely blind to. So I want to have close relationships where I'm opening my life and they're able to see that. And if they love me enough, they'll point those things out and uh, they won't conceal their love. They'll they'll open, they'll open have open rebuke and so in order to steer me into the path of righteousness. So I think that's one way. I think another way is um, even in my, on my own responsibility, just living in the light, confessing my sin, uh, having other Christians as I do that, uh, encourage me and exhort me and uh, walk alongside of me. So I don't think that the sphere of man is like one of those things where you just got it figured out and I'm done. It's going to be, if, if the fear of man is overcome by having a right view of God, then it's a lifelong journey um, I, because we can always grow in our knowledge of the Lord. So I need other people to spur me on, hold me accountable, correct me when I'm when I'm, when I'm I'm off the path, um, help see my blind spots. And so the church is essential in, not just in this area of, of sanctification, but in every area of the Christian life where we just need each other. This is how, it just seems that this is how God has set it up. So yeah, very thankful for the local church in that. Mm. Amen. Well, Zach, as we wrap up this conversation, it's been really fun. Um, can uh, you give us a few takeaways on this topic? Yeah, I think um, be patient. Uh, dig into God's word. I'm I'm so thankful that God has spoke on this topic. Um, I think one of the one of the ways that I would encourage people who are wrestling with this is what we just got in talking about your last question on the church, which is don't go this alone. Um, whether you're reading Ed Welch's book or uh, the devotional that PNR just put out on on this or other things like that, that you would you would uh, read the scripture that you would think about your own heart in, in the context with another friend, uh, with the help of a pastor in your church, with a biblical counselor, because I think that's just really helpful to have that encouragement and that insight and the prayer of a friend uh, to help us overcome those and to grow, uh, overcome the fear of man and to grow in those areas. So don't go it alone. Um, rely upon the Lord. Lean upon His His Word, His Spirit, and, and do it with others as you as you do this. Mm. Well, that was really well said, Zach. And I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been uh, very very, uh, very enjoyable and uh, insightful and helpful, and I know that it'll help our listeners as they as they think through this topic and uh, prayerfully they pick up this devotional in the 31 day uh, series. It's called "Fearing," uh, uh, yeah, "Fearing Others, Putting God First. And uh, thank you for your work on it, Zach. I've I've just enjoyed uh, getting to know you and and uh, through this interview and even before we started recording. So so thanks, brother. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope that you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.